0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time at WGM. Yeah, we started here in the 90s. I produced Bob Collins and Roy Leonard. And I produced Spike and Cochran. So we spent our 20s as wing women for each other. And it didn't work out very well.
1: But then it did. And we found the right guys and we stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had
0: babies within weeks of each other. And we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look we make it look good. Which brings us to this podcast.
1: We want to talk about topics that intrigue us and you and provide some knowledge to other average
0: parents. We're average. We're not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we get the experts.
1: And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: So welcome to Apparently. We make it look
2: easy.
0: We're doing allowance wrong. Listen to this. A 2018 study by an allowance app called BusyKid found the wage gap starts in grade school. So the average boy earned $13.80 a week, and the girls earned $6.71. That's less than half. What? Yeah, no. So now part of the wage gap apparently comes from what is viewed as men's work versus women's work. You know, mowing the lawn or washing the car is harder. Cleaning and babysitting is not as hard, so boys get more. But it doesn't explain it to me. Now, you have a boy and a girl. How do you handle allowance at home?
1: This is this episode is perfectly timed because allowance is a topic in our house as of this summer uh, with the 12-year-old and 10-year-old, um, a boy and a girl, and they get paid the same amount. Um, I would say Kate's Chores are maybe a little bit harder or more frequent than Ethan's, but um, they get
0: paid the same. How much do you give them?
1: <laughs> well, before this preparation for this podcast, I thought it was okay at five dollars a week. Okay. Well, I re- I was reading a book, and I'm like, oh, maybe that's not enough. And quite frankly, it's not. Okay. I don't think so because you know, Sophie does. She likes to just go out and have like movies or go out to do stuff, right?
0: Yeah, but here's the deal. So My kids get $2 a week. $2? <laughs> Isn't that like what we made 40 years ago? Uh, maybe. And also, we don't always remember to give it to them. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: my my kid. even if I forget, my
0: kids remind me. No, Let my, me tell you. My kids don't even remember to ask.
1: Friday's payday, mama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so we are doing this wrong. And I, w- I want to say that, um, okay, we buy them everything they need. Right. So Same. there's nothing that they want. Right. Um, and so therefore, and in, 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 Hannah knows how to add something to my Amazon cart. <laughs> she, get, she She's can nine. Get, yes. For real? Yeah. She can add it to my cart and then ask me to approve it. But yes. Yeah, so like it, it, they're not wanting for anything, but we are doing it wrong. And um, I, I thought we'd talk to the guy who told me by my reading about him, um, that we're doing it wrong. So let me introduce us to our guest. Ron Lieber is the Your Money columnist for The New York Times and the author of The Opposite of Spoiled, Raising Kids Who Are Grounded, Generous, and Smart About Money. So, Ron, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Let's start with the idea. So one of the things you've talked about in your writing, I guess, is that... um, Parents avoid the money conversation. I got to say, in my house, we deflect the financial questions because I don't want the kids to know how much we make, or how much we have. I don't want them to compare with others. I feel like um, they do too much of that already. Um, and I, uh, I guess I'm wrong. So t- tell me why, why it's wrong to avoid the financial discussion.
2: It is completely natural, uh, and and it it draws on our sort of protective instincts to deflect these questions to say oh, you don't have to worry about that, or perhaps that's none of your business, right? <laughs> yeah, but, that's it. Um, the, the problem with that is that it is their business, right? Your household revenues and expenses have a direct impact on them. They know, they, or at least they notice right? Um, And so what happens, you know, with your family's income stream, it it makes a difference in their lives. It it quite literally is their business. But if we shut them down, uh, if we tell them we won't talk about it or don't want to, it gives them the the sense that um, this avenue for exploration is like entirely off limits, that it's somehow verboten. Uh, Maybe they feel ashamed for even having asked. And we don't want to do that to them in all of these areas of life that they will increasingly be asking about um, that uh, inspire a lot of emotion and feelings, whether it's money or sex or or drugs or mental health issues. We want them to know that it's okay to ask. So shooing them off, especially in an area that matters so much in life, is just the wrong way to go.
1: I didn't think about it that way because at the time, you know, life happens, and you know they they have a habit of asking these questions at the wrong time, <laughs> and it's like I don't have time for this right now, like because I want to have like a good answer or a thoughtful answer, and I can't always come up with it off the cuff.
0: So maybe we should
2: rehearse. Well, that's what we're okay say. too. Um, you can just say to them. You know what? Now is not a good time. Um, I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, you know, it shows that you're you're curious, and it's exactly the right question to ask. And I want to take the time to answer you um, in the you know most appropriate fashion with the information that'll be most useful to us. So sometimes, uh, you know, in the next 24 hours, we'll sit down and I'll give you a real answer to that question. But I just can't do it right now.
1: Well, one of the things in your book that you mention uh, is when they do start asking about money is you have a good response with, why do you ask? Because I, I, I do find that that would be a good response to the kids because often it's something that happened at lunch or on the playground or something with other kids, interacting with other kids, that solicits their curiosity because something inherently has come up on the playground that is the reason why they're talking about it or asking so by asking, sure. why do you, so can why I, can do you I mimic ask?
2: your tone for a second without mocking it? OK, here's here's how you you rendered that phrase. Why do you ask? <laughs> and I know we're trying to you know, get rid of, you know, up talk or, uh, or up speak in the way that our kids talk, particularly uh-huh. our girls. But, you know, it's OK to respond to them something like this. You know, why do you ask? Right? As as if to suggest in our tone, are you my husband? (laughs) That they had the gumption and curiosity to raise this with us. But we really genuinely want to know, without dreading the conversation, which is sort of the sense I got from your tone, (laughs) we really want to know where this. Question is coming from because as you mentioned, right? You know these these money questions often come up from playground conversations where the word rich is thrown around. Yep. You know it's it's wielded like a weapon to um, make fun of the rich kid who's behaving badly, or people brag about being rich. Uh, you know either one can happen, or they're reading your mail, right? Or looking over your shoulder, or overhearing conversations that you're having at home, and they're curious naturally. So uh, it's their job to be curious, um, but. In order to figure out what the right answer is or or, or what's really at the root of the question, you know, we do want to know what inspired the curiosity. So ask and ask in a sort of upbeat tone that makes it clear that we value and honor their curiosity in the first place.
1: So can I try again? Hey, buddy, uh, so why do you ask?
2: Excellent. like that a plus right. oh
1: yeah okay, good. Well, okay. Well done. all right
0: all right so when should allowance start and i, I now know the answer to this and we're going to be shamed by you <laughs> but so uh, when should we start giving the kids allowance
2: okay first of all no shame no blame and it is never too late to get started helping our kids get on the right track financially um so you know if you haven't started by 8 or 10 or 14 that's totally fine. There's actually science behind this that says that we can still do a lot of good with implementing, uh, you know, a lot of these tips and tactics uh, when, when kids are in high school. Um, but I would say that the best time to start allowance is about the same time that they actually start asking for money and wanting things, right? As long as they can count or are close to counting, as long as they can read or are close to reading, and that's about a, a, a good time to start. Often a natural point is when the two two-thirds Shows up for the first time because if your tooth fairy brings money, the kids will very quickly a- figure out that uh, you know unless you're in uh, you know Lake Forest or whatever where the uh, the tooth fairy brings a hundred dollar bill, <laughs> um, you know generally the the, the tooth fairy is going to bring a small enough amount of money that it won't be able to buy very much, uh, and then at that point they're going to want more money and, and start asking questions, and that might be a good time to start regularly delivering. Um, You know A a, a small amount of money each week
1: Okay that makes sense So yeah in the book you say first grade So that's about you know When kids are losing teeth and stuff
0: Yep By the way we gave Mm -hmm. I mean our tooth fairy The tooth fairy gave Two dollar bills to my children And then we wouldn't let them spend them (laughs) Because we were like (laughs) You have to hold on to two dollar bills Because they're they're special (laughs) Yeah So we really got that one (laughs)
1: Well, how much should allowance be? Because, like, going back to the, um, that study about the gender gap, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how that's possible that there would be that much difference between allowance and a boy and a girl. Like, again, in my family, both Ethan and Kate were making the same amount of money. And maybe that's even wrong, too, because one's 10 and one's 12. But is there, like, a rule of thumb for allowance?
2: Sure, so I, I would ask you a couple of questions um, in, in return, right? But first of all, what would you have them use the money for? Um, because depending on the age, um, either you may want to use the allowance as a way for them to practice all of the budgeting that they could do around lunch money. Or public transportation, or other things that they may be paying for on a regular basis. Or you may end up providing, you know, every last thing that they need, and the allowances is only for wants, right? And you know, when thinking about the difference between needs and wants, which is, you know, something that we can use allowance to help them understand the difference between, um, you know, what some parents do is they say to these kids, "Okay, um, from now on, you are going to buy every single thing that you want." unless it's your birthday or the December holidays. And maybe at that point you double the allowance, right? And the kids think it's you know Christmas in July or whatever until they realize when you go out for dinner, say, if you're able to go out for dinner, uh, that you're not going to buy them anything to drink uh, except, except letting them have water, right? Because having a drink at dinner other than water is a want. It's not a need. Right. right? And so at that point when they realize they're going to have to reach into their pocket for it, every single thing that falls into the want category um, they may wonder so that's a long way of saying this right um the right amount of allowance is so that they can afford some of the things that they want but not so much that they don't have to make a lot of really hard choice trade-offs right because that's what we adults do every single day, multiple times a day, you know, weighing wants and needs and different gradations of wants. Um, That's what we want them doing, too. We are in the adult making business here and adults make tradeoffs. And so kids should use their allowance to make tradeoffs, too.
0: So in the book, you suggest uh, starting with three containers and that they should be transparent or clear containers. Can you tell us what that what that strategy is?
2: Sure. So I put those jars save spend and give on the cover of the opposite of spoiled for a reason. And first of all there's a the practical consideration, right, which is the, you know, the the different ways that uh, we grown-ups divide our money. Generally we um, spend... And a fair bit of what we make. Hopefully, we save a decent chunk of it for retirement or college or other things. Uh, and then perhaps we have something left over for people who need the money more than we do. That's the gift jar. Uh, and so we want kids to practice that um, to get in the habit of doing it too. And you know, this again gets to the question of how much allowance should you hand over, right? Because maybe you want your children getting in the habit of giving away larger than average amounts of money sooner rather than later okay maybe yours is a family that's going to need to put aside a lot of money for college because uh, you you know you don't earn a lot of money so you're not going to be able to pay it out of current income when they're 18 and you want the kids to get in the habit of saving so that they get used to saving their wages because they're gonna have to work in high school right so the, the amounts can depend on that but that's the basic division and you can decide Uh, as a family, how you want to divide it up. You know, many families make it simple. They start with a six-year-old, and they give the six-year-old six single-dollar bills a week, and they divide it equally between the three jars. And spending is for um, impulse buys, and saving is for something that's going to take a while, and, you know, giving is for giving away to a cause they believe in. And then, then you're off and running from there.
0: How important is it to be actual money? There's all these apps now.
2: It's really important to use green cash money, at least for the first couple of years. Uh, first of all, kids like it. It's it's visceral, right? You can hold it in your fingers and you can count it. It's good for math skills. Yep. Um, it, you know, it makes them feel good to watch the pile of dollar bills grow over time. It gives them some satisfaction if they're able to successfully delay gratification. And on the give jar side, you would not believe how awesome it is to watch and to experience and to be that kid that walks into their school or their church or their zoo or their local homeless shelter with a giant jar of single dollar bills and hands it over to the person who handles fundraising at that organization. Um, Most of these places have experienced this now. They know exactly what to do. They make a huge deal out of the kid. They'll take their picture. They'll put it on Facebook if you want them to. And the kid feels so amazing, right? So, if the money exists in some virtual space or on an app and you have to push a button to transfer it to your bank account so that you can use a credit card to make a right. donation, it's it's not going to have the same kind of emotional pump,
0: yeah, you're kind of robbed of that experience, but you just describing that experience gave me goosebumps, so i I, I get it like the and, and, and I think kids <laughs> so are
2: imagine how a, a kid would feel,
0: yeah, and I think kids are or at least the kids I have are naturally generous, you know, because they first of all, they don't my kids don't really know what money is but um but they want to help others and so nurturing that is a fantastic idea.
2: Yes. I mean think about the you know toddler who takes the mashed up cheerios out of their mouth and wants to feed them to you right they're they're hardwired <laughs> for this and we just need to nudge it a little bit. Yep.
1: One of the things in your book that I that pretty much and I'm sure you put it in the beginning on purpose but pretty much changed My perspective on everything was when you said, when parents tie allowance to the completion of chores, they make work the primary focus, not money. But children have many places to pick up a good work ethic. Strict teachers, drill sergeant coaches, choral conductors will instill plenty of discipline. So when I thought of that, I'm like, when I think of allowance, or when I have thought about it, it was... To teach them about you know you have to work hard to 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 earn the money just like dad does it when he goes to work every day and honestly uh, his coach my kids coaches and um, teachers and stuff kind of already do that so there's a lesson in the money and the budgeting that has been completely lost because we haven't talked about it in our family like it's never been an issue like they just if they want to go to the movie we would
0: just you know give them Five bucks to go see their show on Tuesdays or whatever. Yeah, so I think that the takeaway both of us got immediately is the idea that we don't link allowance to chores, right?
2: Exactly. And I think more than anything else, in addition you know, to the things that you just said, which totally makes sense to me, is that if you link the receipt of allowance with the completion of chores, you're putting yourself in a really bad negotiating position. Because the kids <laughs> who have the emotional kind of wherewithal to save, after a couple of months, if they're not big spenders, right, they're going to have a whole bunch of money piled up, at which point they may come to you and, and say, you know, I I, I don't really want to do the chores for a while. I kind of have enough money for the next couple of nice. months. And then you're really in a pickle. Right? Yeah. Because if part of the point of, you know, of this entire exercise is to make sure that they know what it means to contribute to a well functioning household via the completion of chores, we can't have them not doing chores. They have to do the darn chores, right? Right. And so these two things, to my mind, need to be apart. You do chores for free the same way the grown-ups do chores yeah. for free because you love one another and you want the household to be orderly, and that's important, right? Right. And the money, the money is a teaching tool. Um, it is a tool for learning the same way that athletic equipment or musical instruments or books, or art supplies are. It belongs in that category.
1: How about with, you know, everything's different than when I was growing up, but in today's world, these kids get everything they want pretty darn instantly. You know, if they want to listen to a song, they stream it on their phone or, you know, Amazon Prime or whatnot. So what what are some lessons that can be learned through allowance or saving you know how how will that work? Do you understand what I mean? Like, I feel like they so like, instantly want. I, I could not
2: understand more, right? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure when you you know sort of head up the expressway to Gurney and 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 to ride the. Um, Uh, roller coasters, a great America, you know, there are various ways that you can like buy your way to the front of the line. Yes. Um, And, uh, you know, this exists everywhere, right? They can push a button and and make a car appear, you know, and cut a smartphone. Um, Nobody has to wait for anything anymore. But it turns out that patience and delayed gratification are more important for grownups than they used to be, because all of us are responsible for our own saving for retirement. Now, you know, there are way fewer pensions than there used to be. And if any of us are going to be able to afford to retire, it's on us to do the savings. So kids need to practice those skills, but they don't get that practice anymore from waiting in line at Great America or waiting through the commercials or waiting to use the telephone. Uh, they don't weigh much at all for much of anything. So that's why using the save jar and making them put money away and thinking about, you know, medium and long term goals is something that's an essential part of the whole allowance exercise.
1: Yes, that that put it in perspective for me as well when in reading your book. So that's something that I know my son would The delay gratification is a huge problem in my house. (laughs) He he want when he wants he sets his sight on something. He wants it right now.
0: I think that's true of most kids. (laughs) Yes. Ethan in particular. Yep. Another question, because this is where I fail, Ron, is um, the consistency. So, you know, as I said, we the grand $2 a week that we've been giving, um, we forget and they forget because my kids are not because they were not focused on allowance. So why is it important to make it kind of a ritual or a, a big, consistent deal?
2: Well, I think we want them to get into good habits, and good habits only happen through practicing. Practicing only happens if, you know, we have the conversation at least once a week. And, you know, once it's ritualized, it's more likely than not that more interesting conversations will fall out, right? Because the 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 practice of handing the physical money over or you know pushing a mutton to transfer the money for for teenagers Uh, it's a natural opportunity to ask questions you know what have you spent money on this week what are you saving for
1: as you, hey, that
2: gift jar is, is now has more than a hundred dollars in it. So let's talk about what you're thinking about there.
1: As the kids get older and more sophisticated, you know, in in high school and stuff, do you have opinions on um, credit cards or debit cards and stuff like that? Um, because I have several family friends that their kids <laughs> have played Fortnite and all of a sudden racked up a whole bunch of money on a credit card, a bill for new skins and stuff like that, that they, you know, because it's not green, it's not a dollar bill. They're, hand- they're just, it's like, oh, I'm just putting it on a card. So is there is there a me- method or um, a suggestion you have for how, as they get older and their purchases are bigger, how to handle that?
2: Sure. I, you know, parents often think of credit cards, you know, giving a kid a, what's known as an authorized user card, as a great way to you know give them something in their wallet for emergencies or um, they think that uh, you know their kid will begin to uh, build a build a credit history, and that's how they sort of <laughs> justify it for themselves. But but kids tend to define emergencies down. And the fact <laughs> of the matter is, is that in 2018, uh, you can, as long as your your kids are part of the same banking system, the parent can go in and press a button in an emergency and transfer money to the kid's card to the kid's account, and that happens instantly. So if you're worried about emergencies. You don't need a credit card to solve for emergencies.
0: Right. Makes sense. You mentioned a bailout. Um, one of the things you talked about in, in, in your writing is uh, whether weekly payments make sense or whether you devise a budget with your kids. So maybe it's an older kid, but you say, all right, how much do you think you spend on clothes? All right, let's give you $200 to just to buy all your clothes. But you're buying all your clothes. And, and when you run out of money, I'm not bailing you out. T- talk about that.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in the no bailout rule. Um, and as far as budgets go, uh, you know, you can sit down around this time of year each year and make a list of all of the needs and within each category of need, you know, talk about what you're willing to spend in that category to satisfy the need. You can add up all those needs and, you know, let's say it adds up to $250. You hand that money over and say, okay, you've got to buy everything on this list. And you may make a decision that, you know, the old Navy underwear is not to your liking and you're going to buy the Victoria's Secret, you know, underwear, uh, you know, within reason. Or you may make a decision that, the uh, you know, the, the Land's End code is not to your liking. You want to buy the Patagonia one um, instead. But that Patagonia code is probably going to cost the whole $250 budget. And so you're going to be going to Goodwill for your underwear. All of the things on the list need to be bought, because those those are things you need. And, you know, and then we let them take off and run it. And they will make the most spectacular mistakes. But that's part of the point. We want them to make the mistakes while they're under our roof, and we can talk about them.
0: Oh, failure. That's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Because they will, they will blow the budget, right?
2: I, would not necessarily resign every single one of them to blowing the budget many of them will take us to some kind of challenge to prove their maturity and their sort of worthiness for more and better you know financial privileges and you know longer bits of rope Um, and so you know they may well surprise you but large numbers of them will just screw it up royally and it it really is great fun to watch yeah Um, but you know then you've got to have the tough discussion about what they're going to do to dig themselves out of the hole.
0: Yeah, and what if they don't have any underwear?
2: <laughs> they have to they have get underwear. Restored. That's the rule. Yeah. That's one of the needs. Everybody's got to wear underwear.
1: Right. I can't imagine doing that, actually. in my, my, Like, going from not having this dialogue and cold turkey going to that method. Here, Kate, here's $250 for back to school. I, I
0: I just see that going royally bad. Well, and I th- I see it. So I've got um, Sophie and Hannah, Ron, and um, Sophie would save all of it and not spend it on anything. <laughs> she'd and, be
1: like, I'll wear the same clothes this summer.
0: Yeah, and Hannah would be like, Here's money for everyone. You know, she'd be like throwing it around because she's got no sense of money. So um, it would be a it would be an interesting experiment, and maybe we'll try that. Maybe that would be an interesting time thing for our family.
1: Another thing in your book that you mentioned was. Just and this also brought it in perspective was, um, you know, I have a twelve and a ten year old. But think about if you don't talk about money for a long time in your in your house or teach them, you know, to give, save, or spend, and then they're about to go to college. And and when you wrote about it in the book, that really I was like, whoa, because they're going to make huge decisions on what college they're going to go to take on student loans, and if you haven't had any money discussion or dialogue or practices up until they turn 17 or 18, you're setting them up for failure.
2: Right. I mean, just think about it this way, right? You know, if it costs $125,000 for four years at or banna, undiscounted, but, you know, they also get into... Wisconsin, right? And, you know, as an out-of-state kid, that's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars more. And you've never had any smaller money discussions before, and you haven't given them the practice to think about ever, you know, sort of increasingly large amount of dollars. That decision, which is an enormous decision that could involve tens of thousands of dollars of additional student loan debt, that won't make a lick of sense to them. And really, why should it, right? Because you haven't given them the context or the ability to, you know, think about numbers that big in a practical way. So we don't have any choice in the matter, you know, in in starting these conversations early, lest we leave our 18-year-old in a situation where they're making one of the biggest financial decisions of their life without any practice to fall back on.
0: This brings up the point that you are writing another book that's coming out in 2020. Tell us about that.
2: Sure, it's called What to Pay for College, and it's about basically, you know, whether Madison at $200,000 is, is $75,000 better than Champaign at one twenty five. It's about when, if ever, you should pay more money than whatever your state university might be charging at that given point. When I was working on The Opposite of Spoiled, I realized that the whole question of how to pay for college and what to pay for college in particular was just looming ever larger, And I could not address it in the opposite of the world because it was so big. Yes. And so I've spent the last half a decade gathering string, and now I'm working on it full time before I go back to the New York Times.
0: We totally need that to come out sooner, so can you hurry up? (laughs) Our 12 year olds. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ron Lieber. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, the uh, New York Times, you are money columnist, but author of The Opposite of Spoiled, Raising Kids Who Are Grounded, Generous, and Smart About Money. Um, you have changed our lives, and my, my kids will start sending you money because they're finally going to get some allowance.
2: <laughs> I'm just going to put it in my gift jar if they do. Uh,
0: oh, oh, good. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Ron. So apparently I'm going to the bank and getting a bunch of singles. <laughs>
1: clark's gonna be like what what's going on and no kidding uh yeah i think that this was wonderful and i am excited to um kind of change how we talk about it in our house and i i'll be honest i was in that bucket of not really talking about money yeah just it doesn't really come up all that much except for when they're like hey can i have five dollars to go see the movie or whatever but like the big picture stuff and how to save and and spend and give is is something that's very valuable and I mean we have a couple years before college so
0: we can but that's going to be a really interesting uh conversation too because Oddly enough, my husband went to Madison, so my kids are like, Madison sounds great. But if it's $75,000 more, <laughs> uh, I,
1: yeah, mm. exactly.
0: Yeah. So. so, well, that's another episode. Yeah. we'll we'll, we'll tackle that soon. Um, all right. Well, I'm Ann Johnson And I'm Tracy Weiner.
1: Thanks for listening. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees they take
2: a look.